0: Welcome to China Insider, a podcast from Hassan Institute's China Center.
1: It's Tuesday, October 24th, and we have three topics this week. The first is Miles' reflections on the third BRI summit and the future of the Belt and Road Initiative today. The second is a new propaganda television show in China. When Marx Meets Confucius, and Miles' thoughts on the compatibility of the two systems. And third, we discuss the latest banned book in China, which commentators have argued draws parallels between the fall of the Ming Dynasty and Xi Jinping's rule today. Miles, how are you? Very good, yeah. Nice to be with you again. Yes, wonderful. Well, so for our first topic, uh, we're nearly a week out from the third BRI forum. Last week, we talked about Putin's arrival in Beijing and what you framed as a sort of hypocrisy on behalf of Russia. On one hand, showing support for the project uh, in speech, but largely avoiding its implementation in Russia. Uh, Miles, now that the dust has settled a bit, what is your overall assessment of the third BRI forum? Any notable takeaways? Well, first of
0: all, you know, it's uh, sort of uh a in a downward motion, and both in terms of China's uh, scale of investment and also the reception by the, uh, by, the, by the world. Let me just say this out loud at the beginning of this discussion. China wants to be a global leader. Therefore, China uses the BRI as a way to showcase China's global economic and financial prowess. By doing so, China completely ignores what the world really needs. BRI is not what the world needs. It's the same as Hollywood celebrities' Botox for the Homeless project. Totally hypocritical and ridiculous. Uh, it's getting more and more resistant from these recipient countries. That's why you can see, this. Is a, you mentioned this is the third BRI summit. Compared to the previous two, you can see the participants were significantly reduced. Not many people actually showed up. You know the guy who stole the spotlight from Xi Jinping at the third BRI summit? is Vladimir Putin. Uh, Putin is an internationally wanted criminal. Uh, there is an arrest warrant for him issued by the International Criminal Court. So there's a very few countries uh, where he could visit. Uh, China and Kyrgyzstan, uh, where he stopped on the way to China, were the only two countries he stopped because those two countries were not members of the ICC system. So it's safe for him to show up. And China's BRI summit in Beijing gave Putin a platform from which he would shine. So it was in Beijing during the third BRI summit, Vladimir Putin basically showed his diplomatic prowess. He made uh, many leaders uh, that were closely allied with Russia uh, for energy uh, purposes, for a lot of other geographic, uh, geopolitical reasons. For example, the t- newly elected a Thai prime minister uh, met him. And Putin held multiple meetings with other ASEAN leaders. So I mean, so the focus of this BRI actually is on Putin himself. It's very very interesting. Xi Jinping inadvertently uh, uh, gave Putin a opportunity to meet many countries' leaders. Now, let me just say a few words about the BRI uh, project overall. Uh, Belt and Road Initiative is a perfect reflection of the CCP's obsession with the infrastructure projects. It showcases China's uh, leaders' uh, megalomania mentality. If you look at the Chinese history, since Chinese Communist Party took over in 1949, China basically has been on the bench of building those landmark infrastructure projects. Three Gorges Dam, these uh, gigantic railway systems uh, all over China, and many of the power plants and uh, uh, huge residential, commercial real estates, just like Joseph Stalin built all those ugly, uh, gigantic uh, buildings uh, in the 40s and 50s. So this binge of CCP's obsession with the infrastructure projects ruined China's ecology economy. Number one, those infrastructure obsession is not driven by economic and market rationalities. But by geopolitical reasons and political considerations, the result is that you have a huge infrastructure system in China without economic benefits. China built many, many railways in, in uh, all over the country, but you know ride, ridership is very low, and it can it could never recover from the cost. Uh, you build all those dams all across China; it ruins ecology and uh, causing a lot of drought downriver and uh, create a lot of environmental problems. Those infrastructure obsession with gigantic projects has become wild and irresponsible construction of huge commercial and residential uh, political uh, landmarks. We know, for example, uh, the world was uh, pretty much like a wild by China's ability to build a skyscraper in something like, uh, you know, two and a half weeks in Chinese uh, Changsha. But the story uh, should not end there. You know, that skyscraper Chinese engineering built in something like 20 days is still there, stay mostly empty. There's no commercial viability there. So same thing with the BRI project worldwide. So China wants to use a BRI uh, system to transplant the same megalomania mentality of economic uh, and infrastructure development domestically. And transplant that abroad to ruin the world. Are we going to allow this communist model of infrastructure development to ruin other countries' economies? The answer is obvious. So that's why I think the, the BRI system is very, very dangerous uh, to global economy. And that's one of the reasons why you can see fewer and fewer countries uh, uh, show uh, uh, enthusiasm and interest. Free money, yes. But you know, free money can destroy your uh, fundamentals uh, in your country. So that's why I think that BRI is going to
1: uh, face a very, very uh, strong headwinds uh, in the near future. Before we move on, so you noted, you know, one element of controversy here was the decline in heads of states who attended. The last one in 2019 saw 37. Uh, this year, only 23. And from Europe, in particular, representation decreased. Uh, One such head of state who arrived, who was quite enthusiastic, was Viktor Orban, um, who hasn't missed one yet. He reiterated Hungary's desire to maintain a strong friendship with China and castigated attempts at decoupling or de-risking. So I'm just curious, what were your thoughts on Orban's rhetoric here and the way he presented Hungary's relationship with China?
0: Hungary is the odd man out in the European community. Uh, it has a very pro-Russia and pro-China uh, stance, which is, is in sharp contrast with the rest of Europe. I think Hungary is fighting a cultural war with what Viktor Orbán termed the, the woke West. That's all right, but you know, you do not the your cultural war with the woke West by aligning with the wrong actors uh, in the world, uh, with the people who are on the wrong side of history. Russia, Hungary's stance on Russia's war in Ukraine, on the danger posed by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, is very bizarre and unrealistic. I don't think it is going to really, really uh, re- echo with the, the Hungarian voters. Uh, uh, you can see uh, China's uh, uh, unfavorable and favorable rating in Hungary is precisely in the middle, 50-50. So this is according to uh, the Pew Pew, uh, uh, polling uh, agency uh, recently. The only other Western countries leader who showed up in the BRI summit is from Italy. And Italy basically is, has a second thought. So basically, Italy sent its a leader to Beijing you know, to tell the, the BRI uh, summit that uh, Italy is going to bow out.
1: Well, for our second topic, uh, we don't normally discuss television shows, but uh, there is a new program worth mentioning on Hunan TV called Confucius Meets Marx. In this show, actors dress up as the two thinkers, uh, and they sit down in front of a studio audience with professors moderating and you know, attempt to get to the bottom of how compatible their systems are. It's interlaced with sort of skits between the two, meeting each other and such. And to be frank, it's quite bizarre. For the viewer, if you're interested in watching it, it's hard to find good English stream, but if you search on Twitter, you can find a thread from Dylan Levi King who published a number of clips in order with English closed captions. So, Miles, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on the more serious topic of whether these systems can actually be synth- synthesized. But first, um, what are your what, what's your initial impression of this program? And also, what reaction have you seen from the Chinese public? Is this being taken seriously, or is it being made fun of? It's a laughing stock among Chinese (laughs)
0: audience. I mean, first of all, this is a desperate attempt by the uh, CCP propaganda machine to justify Marxism's compatibility with traditional Chinese culture. The very interesting thing is that Karl Marx himself never believed Confucianism was a good thing. Karl Marx was a student of the German philosopher George Hegel Hegel believed Confucianist China never developed into a mature civilization and stayed all along in the infantile stage of civilization. Marx agreed with his teacher, but turned Hegel's idea about China being the infantile stage of civilization uh, on its head. Marx believed that Confucianism is a backward system of oriental thoughts that fundamentally contradicts with Marx's own theory of communist utopia. Marxist communist utopia lies ahead in the future. Confucianism is a backward-looking system. Confucianism, on the other hand, insists that the perfect utopia was in the past, at the beginning of the Zhou dynasty, to be specific, at a time when the productive forces were primitive and backward. And according to Karl Marx, a society with a backward and primitive productive forces was never any good. This idea that somehow Marxism endorsed uh, Confucianism is utterly counter Marxist. It it's a misread of Marx, Marx's own thoughts. Why did Confucianism contribute to China's overall backwardness in its long history? Well, Karl Marx himself had had quite a, a bit to say. And Marx said that because Confucianism was a state ideology that supported and justified a peculiar and unique type of despotism or Oriental despotism by codifying a strict social and political hierarchy where everyone is forced to respect authority and the imperial hubris. And get this, everything under heaven, according to Confucianism, is owned by one man, the emperor. In fact, according to Karl Marx, precisely because of this Chinese despotism that is supported by by the Chinese rulers throughout the Chinese history, that there was never a mature development of private ownership, which will be the basis for the dialectical materialistic evolution of all normal societies, like those in Europe, Africa, and other countries in Asia, such as Japan. So this is the evolution of a progressive mode of production, according to Karl Marx, from slavery to feudalism to capitalism. Marx actually believed that that uh, this particular mode of uh, production Represented by China is so peculiar, it belonged to a unique category of its own. Marx called it this Asiatic mode of production. According to Marx, this Asiatic mode of production was so peculiar, it made China profoundly unsuitable for a communist revolution, whose purpose was to destroy private ownership of capitalism. Because China never really had a developed system of private ownership upon which Capitalism would thrive. Therefore, communism in China is not really rooted in the traditional culture and history. This TV series is nothing but a absurdist farce. Naturally, it has made national mockery and the people jeer it as laughable and stupid. We all know that Marxism-Leninism of the CCP never originated in China, uh, in China's own cultural and historical soil and is entirely incompatible with the Chinese culture. In fact, Mao Zedong himself said that uh, communism in China was actually uh, imported from Soviet Russia by the Bolsheviks uh, after the 1917 revolution. And of course, the CCP has always been the agent of that foreign ideology. You can actually say that the CCP himself is nothing but a foreign agent.
1: Well that was quite the condemnation. It seems like maybe they should have consulted you uh, earlier on in the writing process. May might have saved them some time. They should have. <laughs> so you've talked before about the degree to which ideology plays a role in China obviously and and especially in the education system. So, you know, Chinese citizens are inundated with Marx and Hegel and these things. When 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 Chinese students are learning Marx, you know, in their curriculum are certain sections taken out? Are, are, are these comments on that Marx had on the Chinese system sort of explained away? Or how how do they deal with those things in teaching it?
0: Most people in Chinese education system study Marxism by fiat because the school asked them to study. And most importantly, uh, it's actually uh, on the uh, uh, school entrance exams, so they study for the exam. After the exam, <laughs> they were thrown away. Uh, most people in China rejected Marxism as bizarre and uh, and foreign, so there is no particular popularity of communism, So uh, and a uh, particular theory. The problem is, those in power who have the monopoly of all opportunities, access to success, and to social mobility, uh, uh, believe that. I mean, Xi Jinping himself, Uh, has a doctorate degree in Marxist theory from Tsinghua University. This guy is completely ideologically intoxicated. And every one of the Chinese Communist Party leaders, from Mao to Deng to Jiang to Hu to to Xi, wants to be a significant contributor to the Marxist uh, path of theories. And uh, some of them came up with some kind of a really ridiculous and and uh, outstanding sounding um, ideas. Jiang Zemin, his contribution to Marxist uh, fundamentalism is the so-called three represents. And uh, Hu Jintao has this uh, scientific outlook of, uh, of the world. And Xi Jinping is uh, Marxism in new era of our times, something like that. Uh, it's a very, very minor. So all in all, Chinese Communist Party has never been able to deviate significantly at all from the orthodox, fundamental Marxism-Leninism. CCP is a, a ideological monster of its own. Every, every domestic and foreign policy is guided by the fundamentals of Marxist theory. The problem of the West is that we only look at China for its behavior, for its bad behavior. We rarely uh, look for the cause, the source, of a Chinese Communist Party's conduct. This is where we at Hudson is uh, uh, focusing on, to look at the source, the fundamentals of the system that has posed a
1: fundamental threat to the global um, order. One last question on this front. Obviously, this is propaganda and, you know, it's trying to make Marxism compatible with Confucianism. I guess on the other side of the coin, I'm curious, how popular is Confucianism with Chinese youth today or even broadly throughout the population? Is it in need of any sort of a revival uh, or does it still largely permeate Chinese society? Confucianism
0: is uh, one of the several types of solid dressing and is a big solid ball of modern Chinese ethos. Confucianism is, uh, uh, is is a political philosophy and also it could be used as a moral philosophy. There's nothing wrong with respect for the elders, for example. But if mm-hmm. you transplant that into the political theory, you got a problem that is uh, the emperor should always act like a patriarch and every subject under heaven should respect the absolute authority of the emperor. Now, that is a perversion of Confucianism. So that's why Confucianism has been used as a weapon by the rulers to rule under heaven. It's very bad. Now, modern ethos of Chinese history is very much like every other country. Every country has its own distant past. Since over a 100 years, Years ago, since the May Fourth Movement of 1919, the modern ethos of China has become the same as everybody else. You know, the the most profound uh, slogans, the two models of the May Fourth Movement, which is the beginning of really modern China, are Mr. Science and Mr. Democracy. I mean, those are the very, very modern and had nothing to do with traditional system of thoughts. Uh, it's based upon traditional system of thought, the good ones, but it's, it's uh, the Chinese people's urge and search for a constitutional democracy. It's the same just as anybody else. The consummate realization of the, of that modern ethos has taken place in Taiwan. It's in the same Chinese-speaking community. It has perfectly combined the good side of a traditional culture of China with the modern ethos of the world, that is democracy, uh, human rights, and the constitutional rule, uh, due process. So uh, if you really want to know a perfect combination of the traditional culture with the modern ethos, and you go to Japan, you go to Taiwan, uh, Chinese Communist Party spent its first uh, 60s uh, 70 years uh, destroying traditional culture, including Confucianism himself. So, right now, Chinese Communist Party has lost of legitimacy and popularity. So, it used the traditional culture, such as Confucianism, to basically to decorate itself. It's like like a makeup. The essence of the ugliness of the CCP ideology, Marxism, is still there, remain unchanged, and is uh, it's immutable.
1: For our last topic, there's a new addition to the list of banned books in China, most recently a history of the late Ming Dynasty emperor, Chongzhen. Uh, the book is titled Chongzhen, The Hard-Working Emperor Who Brought Down a Dynasty by Chen Wutong. It's speculated that the book's sudden removal from bookstores and uh, now Chinese search engines no longer even show its result uh, has something to do with online commentators drawing parallels between the story as put forward in this book and Xi Jinping's imprudence. Many commentators latched on to a line from the book which states, quote, with one bad move following another, the harder he worked, the faster he brought the country to ruin. Is there any indication this was intentional uh, on behalf of the author? Or is it simply a sort of unfortunate reality for him that uh, the history he tracked lined up with current political developments? And what do you think has or will happen to the author as a result of this? It's totally coincidental. I mean,
0: the author, his name was Chen Wutong, and he's an 88-year-old historian who passed away several months ago. He publishes a book, the book was in display, and the Chinese Communist Party censors look at this, and say, wow, this is terrible, this is subversive. I mean, Chongzhen was the last emperor of the Ming Dynasty, which basically made its demise in 1644, when the peasant rebels, Move into uh, uh to Beijing and storm the Forbidden City. So this guy basically escaped the Forbidden City, went um uh, to the uh, little hill uh, right next to the uh Forbidden City called the Prospect Hill and hanged himself. So uh, uh this is basically a a tragic story. So the book chronicled what led to the downfall of the once mighty Ming Dynasty in the hands of the Chongzhen Emperor, who by all means was a hardworking ruler. You you saw some of the uh, some of the blurbs. It's in the front page as a promotional like a effort. It says stupid policy moves were wrong one after another. The more hardworking the emperor was, the faster he ruined the country. That was basically that's basically is is considered very subversive because Xi Jinping has many monikers. He's is like you know big steam bong and for a lot of Chinese. He's also Winnie the Pooh um, in the West. But there's one moniker that is actually uh, more popular than anything else. That Xi Jinping is known as the accelerator in chief. Zhong Shi. That means he's accelerating the downfall of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, he's accelerator in chief. This is basically, the, that's why this book was banned because it's very sensitive. To use the past to criticize the, pre- the present is a grand tradition of Chinese intelligentsia. It shows uh, that uh, they use the history as oblique dissent against the regime. So uh, similarly, because of that, this uh, kind of an oblique dissent made the rulers very sensitive and paranoid. I mean, the author has died, I would never know whether his intentional uh, his his work is intentional or um, accidental, but uh, whether real or imagined, it does have an effect. So uh, uh, that's why I think you know China is a country of not only a bad uh, rulers but also is a country of absurdism. In the eyes of, uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the Chinese populace, uh, this uh, book's uh, theme actually would have a major echoes because Xi Jinping's policies were widely viewed as wrong one after another, just like the Chongqing Emperor. For example, his COVID-0 lockdowns, screw up a relationship with all the Western powers, had more neighboring nations up in arms against China than ever, and she has caused China's current economic spiral, he was extremely uh, wasteful in bribing other countries by billions of yuan through BRI. He's attempted to move the Chinese capital to a swamp hundreds of miles away in Hebei province. All these uh, Xi's uh, policies just uh, echo the, uh, the front page blurb of that book, that is, uh, uh, the more uh, he works, uh, the faster he ruined the country. Keep in mind, most bad systems Always collapse when there is a a guy who tried to reform it and it failed. And you look at the uh, uh, the example of the French Revolution. It was when they when the France had a good King Louis Louis XVI. He's a good man, but he was a, a, a representing of a bad system. King George the Third. Despite what the, uh, uh said in the Declaration of Independence, he was one of the more benign kings, as recently uh, uh, discovered by the British historian Andrew Roberts. Uh, nevertheless, what uh, uh, George III represented was a tyranny, was a monarchy. So he's not really. Xi Jinping didn't even have the the virtue of the King George III. Uh, and the Louis King, uh, King Louis XVI, he was a bad man from beginning, and his policy obviously is terrible. Therefore, people you know, always uh, look at him as a, the
1: accelerator-in-chief. Well, Miles, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, thanks so much for sitting down and taking the time with me, and I look forward to doing this again next week.
0: Thank you, and looking forward to be with you again next week.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of China Insider. For Chinese language listeners, be sure to check out our monthly Chinese language episodes. And for those who prefer written analysis, subscribe to our weekly newsletter, China Digest, the best place to stay up to date on miles analysis and the latest news on China. As always, you can stay up to date on the China Center's activities at Hudson.org.